Initialize sequence. Hello, everybody. This is Jordan Chibel of Fear Factory. I was from Devil Driver and Cold Chamber. And Jerry Only, the great. Jared from Head PE. Hey, what's happening? This is Trevor from the band on there. This is Jesse Leach from Kill Switch and Gaze. This is Dino Cazares from the group Fear Factory. This is Max Cavalera. Cavalera Conspiracy. Stay underground. Welcome to the Underground, Australia's home of underground music. Well, for the first time ever in the Metal Alternative section in the Underground's Album of the Year, we have a two-time winner in 2018. It was Otep getting it done with Cult 45. Otep, how are you? I am very well. Thank you so much, and I'm so honoured to receive this award twice. I want to thank you guys for including us. I want to thank all of our fans around the world who voted for us. And um, it really, really matters, especially for a band like mine, who is very vocal. We speak our minds, we don't hold back. We're, we try to be as informed and as involved as we can in all of the political and cultural and social things that we stand for so that we're just not speaking out the side of our ass. But, <laughs> you know, you, you think about when I got signed to Capitol Records in 2002, we'd only played four shows in Los Angeles on the Sunset Strip. And Sharon Osbourne and her son Jack were instrumental in sort of discovering us because they were showing up to a lot of our shows. And then one of the reps from Capitol Records, I guess, was coming to see another band. And we were going on before that band and he was walking up the stairs and we were playing the Viper Room, which is fairly famous here it's for a lot of reasons. One is it's where uh, Johnny Depp used to be one of the owners, and it's also where River Phoenix passed away. It's been around since the 60s, and they say that Jim Morrison's ghost haunts the venue. And I, I will tell you just quickly the story. Jim Morrison is a big, big influence on me and has been since I first heard their music when I was a child and I snuck into my big brother's room and was screwing around with his vinyls, which, of course, I wasn't allowed to. <laughs> um, but I did it anyway. We were setting up to do that show where the Capitol Records guy was coming. And we had no idea he was coming, by the way. And we were setting up and they told me, they said, you know, you know, Jim Morrison's ghost is supposed to haunt this place. And I was like, yeah, okay, sure, whatever. You know, there's a lot of places in L.A. that say that the whiskey, Barney's Beanery, where he used to hang out a lot. About a half hour or so goes by and everybody leaves the venue and I'm just kind of sitting there. And, you know, again, I'm still very new to music. I've, I was a kind of a street artist the street poet and music was very very new to me I, I really didn't know much about it I knew that it was it was like our third or fourth show at the time and so I really wanted to be mentally prepared so I was looking at the stage and, and kind of going over in my head what I was going to do how I was going to perform you know on the stage because it's a rather small stage mm. and suddenly over the PA a door song just starts playing Roadhouse Blues and I wow. ran into the front of house station where the music would be coming from nobody's there and the front of house guy walks in eating a sandwich and he goes did you touch my equipment and i said no man it just came on all by itself and he goes oh that's jim and he just walked away and i was like wow okay so that was a pretty neat addition to the story of us getting signed and being a part of i guess the, the iconic music of los angeles and the sunset strip that is just crazy right there and i guess Surely you had to know good things were coming when that happened. That is like one of the coolest stories ever. Oh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's 
we've had a few of those strange occurrences that, that's happened with regards to that. But that was one of the coolest ones for me because, again, I am a huge Jim Morrison fan. And I think that, you know, I'm not ashamed of it either. A lot of singers, they tend to distance themselves from their influences, I think, because they're afraid it might take away from who they are mm. as artists. But I'm not like that. I, I tend to celebrate all of the, the folks that inspired me because they deserve it. <laughs> you know, they came first and, and they were pioneers. And so, you know, I learned how to do my high banshee screams from listening to Chino Moreno from the Deftones. And, nice. and also how he mixed singing and rapping on their early work. And Corey Taylor from Slipknot, obviously, is one of my biggest influences. And now I'm proud to say that he and I are friends, which is kind of cool to be friends with, you know, one of your inspirations. And someone like Tom York from Radiohead, just from his writing style and his approach to composition in music, is also one of my inspirations. And because we were both signed to Capitol, I was actually able to meet him. For me, it was like looking at Jesus. It was surreal. It was just truly phenomenal to, to meet him. He was, he basically just, our A&R at the time, Perry Watts Russell, walked over and said, Tom, I want you to meet Otep. You guys have a lot in common. And he looks at me and he goes, oh, bloody hell. And he shook my hand and he just walked <laughs> away. And I was like, fine, that's fine with me. You know, <laughs> That'll do, I'll take it. Meet, <laughs> I just got to meet Jesus, I'm fine. <laughs> and so those are the things that I guess kind of helped shake us in the very beginning. I mean, from the way that we compose music, uh, which is sometimes not the traditional way, especially for the genre that they, they try to keep pinning on us. And it's also the spoken word performances. I mean, those are obviously inspired by Jim and The Doors and what they did with, with their live shows and their music. And then, you know, Corey Taylor, of course, and the whole band, Slipknot, and the way that they, the power and the passion that they play with. And Corey's just, his just range of vocals is just incredible. And yeah, so it is. I, I really do admire them and I'm, I'm glad that I was able to, to be introduced and to discover them so that I could put them into the stew that would become OTEP. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like that a lot. And I was just thinking about it last night, OTEP, before I knew I was going to talk to you. And I remember you scared the hell out of us back with Hydra in 2013, saying it would be your final album. Think about that. Since then, you've you've dropped Generation Doom, which, of course, was album of the year and not to be outdone, Cult 45. What was going on back in those days of saying that would be your final release? Well, I'll tell you, it was really a difficult time for me because I didn't like the label that I was on. I particularly didn't like the president of the label. I felt like he really didn't understand who we were, what we were trying to accomplish, what our message was, and that our message was more important than anything else. I wasn't going to show more skin to sell more records. Yeah. I wasn't going to tone down. I remember we went on tour with, we were direct support for this one particular band, and they actually reached out to our label to tell us to tone it down because we were playing too savagely for them, oh. and we made them look lame. So they actually asked us to tone it down, and I was like, I, I only have two speeds on and off, so I can't tone it down, and if you don't like it, then how about you just pick up your game, bro? You know, don't, don't, don't come at me and tell me to slow down when that's not that's not what I do. They weren't very happy about that. In fact, they even asked us to make our merch stand look uglier because they said it looked more professional than theirs, and they didn't want their direct support to have a more professional-looking merch stand. So, you know, wow. uh, Hunter, S. Hunter S. Thompson, who's also one of my favorite writers, and again, 
I'm not afraid to admit he's one of my inspirations. Once said something like, the music business is a, a cool, shallow money trench, a long plastic hallway where thieves and pimps run free and good men die like dogs. But there's also a negative side. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow. I like that yeah. as well. And I'm sure you can't mention who this other band was, but no doubt, o Oh, I, I have no problem mentioning who they are. I, I don't like them. They're sort of a legacy band. They probably would make me more enemies than I already have. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, but I don't really care. That's not something that I care about. But that one particular band, they were doing a side project, and then they reunited back into their legacy band, and they wrote a song that basically called for the extermination and death of gay people, which in America on satellite radio, it was like in the top 10 of that particular channel That's of uh, liquid metal, uh, The Devil's Dozen. And I was so furious at the time because people were not only supporting it, but no one was speaking out against it because they were afraid to because this band has been around for ages and ages and they're kind of a legacy band and I guess they're afraid of making enemies with this band's fan base. But I called them out, and I wasn't afraid to call them out. I'm still not afraid to call them out. They're not from America. They're from a different country. If I had written a song that was based on their ethnicity, and I became, you know, someone like Resident Chump, uh, <laughs> which is what I call the man who currently occupies the Oval Office, the traitor-in-chief. If I had written something really negatively about these people who come from a different country, I don't think I would have got away with it. <laughs> you know, I would have been yeah. called out for it. I would have been called a racist, but for some reason it was okay for them to be homophobic. They're talking about my family, they're talking about my friends, they're talking about my community, my fans. It was really disheartening to not only know that they had written a song like that, but to know that it became so popular within the genre. And which made me start to question why I was in this genre and why I was doing it. Yeah. And so it was kind of around the time of Hydra, I just decided that these people in the music business who run record companies, and again, I'm going to make a lot of enemies here, but that's okay. I'm, I'm good with that. A lot of times, not every time, but a lot of times, labels are run by people who failed at being in a band. So they come in with a lot of different ideas on how musicians should be treated and how musicians should be paid. And they're really in it just for the money. So you really, as an artist, which is what I am, I'm not an entertainer, I'm an artist. I had to learn very quickly how to bifurcate my brain into the business side and the creative side, which I really don't like to do, but in order to survive, that was what was important. And I just felt like they had stolen the magic from me of yeah. creating music and writing lyrics. And I just decided, you know, they offered me another record deal and I turned it down at the time because I didn't want to fake it. You know, I thought our fans deserved better than that. I thought my music deserved better than that. And my band deserved better than that for me just to get in there and just fake it. So at the time I was very serious about it. Uh, and I took, I took some time off. I took about two years off and slowly the spirit of music began to re-inhabit me and I started 
started writing again, poetry, and then poetry to rhythm. And then I started thinking, hey, that would be a good lyric. Hey, that would be a good chorus. Hey, why don't we give this another shot? And so I did. I'm very happy that I took that time to reassess and to sort of take a breath and, and decompress and allow the reason why music is so important to me and why I'm so passionate about it and why it's so important as a cultural device in our global civilization. And so now I've, here I am on my eighth album, which I'm very proud of. Not a lot of bands have written eight albums, and we're probably going to be writing our ninth album, or starting to write our ninth album, later this year. Oh, so, there you uh, go. That was an upcoming question, too. Oh, yep. There you go. But I was going to ask you, Otep, mm-hmm. in your words, how does Cult 45 compare to Generation Doom? Well, I think there's a few differences. Just from the obvious differences that we, we self-produced it because of the nature of the album. When I sat the, the band down and I told them what I wanted to write and what the album was going to be about, we decided that what we wanted was a polished album that sounded like a studio record, a professional album, but that was still captured the power and you know savagery of our live shows and, and the magic of our live shows as well. And from that foundation, that's a little bit different than Generation Doom. And Generation Doom, for me, when I started writing it, we were either going to be the generation that stopped our doom or this was going to be the doom generation. This was going Mm. to be the generation that that became doomed. And unfortunately, and it usually happens, it happens with men too, but culturally, throughout history, actually, it's been closely related to women. It's called Cassandra disease. It's actually based on a Greek myth about a woman named Cassandra who pissed off Apollo. So he gave her the gift of foresight of prophecy, but that cursed her that no one would believe her. So she could tell you what would happen in your life when you died, you know, if you were going to win the war or not or, or, or whatever, but then no one would believe her. And it's called Cassandra disease. It's a real thing. And so when I wrote Generation Doom, I had this feeling that something was going to happen. You know, we started to hear the rumblings of Trader Trump around that time with his birtherism and all of his bullshit nonsense that President Obama wasn't born in America, which, you know, now is pretty funny because we have a senator here named Ted Cruz whose mother is American. His father was a Cuban refugee, but he was born in Canada. And Ted Cruz, I don't know if you guys know about him down there in Oz, but he's just a sniveling little coward of a man. Uh, he's a conservative. <laughs> he's a Republican. Donald Trump called his wife ugly and during the campaign because he was running for president at the time. And Ted Cruz told Donald to leave Heidi alone, you know, you, you coward. And then after Donald Trump got the nomination, Ted Cruz was licking his loafers. But Ted Cruz was able to run for president, even though he was born in Canada, because his mother was an American. Mm. Same thing with John McCain. John McCain was born, I think, in the Panama Canal on a ship or something. I I, I don't know the full details. I'd have to Google that, to be quite honest. But the fact of the matter is, if one of your parents is an American citizen, it doesn't matter where you're born, you're you're an American. You're considered an American. But the fact of the matter is, President Obama was born in America. This was just a way of uh, President Trump. I also call him Cheeto Schittler. I like that one a lot. Yeah, that's um, very clever. 
Cheeto Chitler, he just wanted to boost his ratings on his failed reality TV show, The Apprentice. And there's actually <laughs> this great documentary on Netflix here in the States called Active Measures, where the Russians did everything that they did in the 2016 elections in America, they did in Crimea. They had a very popular female candidate who was running, and they hacked into her emails. They spread fake news articles about her. They propped this man up as being the only person who could fix the problems of Crimea. And they even had a chant, and that chant was, lock her up, which is what they chant here in America at, at these MAGA moron conventions whenever Trader Trump shows up, uh, lock her up, even though he's won and she's not committed any crimes and he's under 18 criminal investigations, including obstruction of justice and being a foreign agent for the Russians. But in Crimea, they actually did lock her up. They actually locked up that candidate, that female wow. candidate. She went to prison. They did a test run there. And then in Cheeto Schittler, they saw someone who was willing to work with them because he wanted to build that Moscow hotel, that Trump Tower in, in Moscow, because no American banks will, would loan him any money. And that's been since the 90s. He filed bankruptcy 11 times in four years. So he had to go to other nations to get money in, and that included the Emirates, that included the Russians, that included China, and there's some talk that it might have included also Israel, or some Israeli investors, but most of the money that he received was from Russian oligarchs. And so not only has he committed treason against the United States of America, he had a reason to do it, to profit for his family and himself because he's going broke. And the other option, which might even be worse, is that he's just, you know, a, a bumbling idiot uh, <laughs> or what they, what they used to call a useful idiot in the spy world which was someone who had no idea they were being used. And I think that it might be just with uh, Cheeto Schiller, I think it might be a little bit of both. <laughs> I think that they have compromising material on him. And they also know that all they got to do is say, Donald, those are the biggest hands I've ever seen. Donald, you have the be most beautiful hair I've ever seen. Putin, can, who's bald on top, could be like, I wish I had your beautiful orange locks, Donald. And Donald would be like, well, whatever you want, Putin. You know, I mean, so the mounting evidence against this man is growing and growing and growing daily. Just yesterday, it came out that his lawyer, who has been convicted and is going to prison, and Trump has also been named in that case as an unindicted co-conspirator. His lawyer came out yesterday that Trump ordered him not only to lie to Congress, which is a federal crime, but a number of other crimes as well, including espionage and treason against the United States. And that's the first time that's ever happened in this country. We've never had a president that would sell out his own nation for his own personal wealth and his own personal gain. Yeah. And so the reason to write Colt 45 was, I remember I did a, an interview once with some folks and they were evangelicals, which in America means that they're Christian zealots. They don't really follow Christ's teachings. 
they really follow the Old Testament, and then they just throw Jesus in at the end. So it's all about fire and brimstone and eye for an eye, which, you know, is not what Christ said. You know, someone slaps you on the cheek, give them the other cheek. These people are not like that. You know, they're pro-life, but yet they believe in the death penalty, or they are pro-life, but they, they don't care that children have died in the custody of Homeland Security here in America who are asylum seekers, seven-year-old, eight-year-old, and sometimes even, you know, eight-month-old children have died, and some of them have even been molested by the guards whose duty it is to protect them, and these are young girls, and we had, I think, 1,400 young girls who went missing, and because Trader Trump is such a good chaos candidate, he lives in chaos, he's able to just inundate the news constantly with new stories, new bullshit every day, so it's hard to keep up with all the crimes and all the things that are going on horribly in this country, and so I was doing this interview with these evangelicals, and and at first I thought it was going to be kind of hostile, but the guy told me, he said, you know, when you wrote Warhead, which was back in 2004, and it was against George W. Bush, he said, I assumed you were insulting the military, the troops. And I said, well, first of all, I come from a military family, so that's quite impossible for me to do. Mm. My brother died in the Navy. My family served throughout the ages all the way, I think, up into World War One. That was one of the reasons why I was so angry at Bush, was because he was sending our good women and men in uniform to fight in an illegitimate war. Iraq didn't attack us on 9-11, the Saudis did, you know? But he said when he heard Warhead, he initially thought, oh, she's attacking the troops. And then I think someone else said he, he was talking to a friend and the friend said no man you should listen to it again and watch the video and see what she's saying and he said it completely turned his thinking around he's still an evangelical but he's trying to change it from the inside to be more like Christ and to be and to expose the hypocrisies and of the right wing of this country and so music has that power not a lot of people read you know the news or watch the news anymore they tune out but they'll listen to music Mm, nice and definitely. so if you're able to convey a message within your song, and, you know, you don't have to be as blatant as I am, which, of course, I'm very blunt about <laughs> my beliefs, but if you're an artist, you should be able to figure out a way to communicate a message without alienating your audience, which is what most artists are afraid of. I'm not afraid of that, but a lot of artists are. But if you are an artist, then you should know how to write a song that conveys a message that still opens people's eyes and maybe pollinates them with an idea that they wouldn't have had before. And so that's the real power of music. And that's why I, again, going back to the earlier question about Hydra, why I wanted to get back into it is this was a, a way for me to communicate a message and also stand up for people who have similar beliefs in, that I do, but that live in what we call red states, which are conservative states, and are very lonely because they don't have many places to speak their mind against Trader Trump or against the Republican Party, but they can do it at our shows. They can do it in their cars when they're driving around. They can do it at their homes when they listen to the music or watch the videos. So music is very powerful. It's a very, very powerful medium that can be used in that way. I was very proud, actually, just a few days ago, Cardi 
TV, who you would never expect to be political at all, actually came out and, and spoke about how Trump is punishing government workers because he shut the government down. So all the government workers aren't getting paid, but they're still being forced to go to work. And that includes Homeland Security. That includes the Border Patrol, which is what the shutdown is all about, is about building a stupid border wall, which makes no sense because apparently he's never heard of tunnels <laughs> or ladders. <laughs> yeah. So she spoke out about it. She was attacked, of course, by the conservatives in the right wing, that she was stupid, that she shouldn't have an opinion. Meanwhile, these jackasses voted for a D-list reality TV star who's never governed in his life, who's never took a civics class in his life, who doesn't even know how a bill becomes a law, who doesn't know that we have three co-equal branches of government, that we don't have a king, we don't have, we're not a monarchy, that we have a Supreme Court, a Congress, and a presidency that are all equal. Hmm. And now that the Democrats have retaken the House, Speaker Nancy Pelosi has reinstated that in a very, very strong way that we are your equal and you have to work with us or we can do things that will punish you and stop any legislation that you want to go forward. And unfortunately, he's taking out his ego-fueled idea of a wall on four American workers. And, you know, there are some people who are saying that, oh, yeah, once the government reopens, they're going to get their back pay. And, you know, so that's a good thing. But what about now? They're not able to pay their mortgages, some of these people. They're not able to pay. We don't have universal health care here. We have something similar to it. But, you know, since Trump came into office, he pretty much gutted that. So some of these government workers who are on the government insurance programs can't afford the co-pays right now. One woman wrote that her co-pay is $1,500 without insurance. Yeah. She's having to ration her medication. Some people who are diabetics are having to ration their insulin because they can't afford it. It's devastating their credit ratings for years to come. They're having to choose between paying utility bills and or putting food on the table or paying for their car payment or their rent or mortgages or just, you know, doing what normal, good working class people, which are the backbone of any real democratic society, that's who the backbone is, the working class. And these rich pricks have no idea what real people have to go through in order to make a living and to make it paycheck to paycheck in this country. Some of Cheeto Schittler's staff are telling them to pick up babysitting jobs wow. and to get food stamps or something like that when they're against food stamps. I mean, it's just... It's truly insane over here, and I hate being right about it. But at the same time, I'm glad that I was able to write what I wrote. I'm glad that it's being accepted and supported the way that it is. We go to these red states, and these people come so that they can celebrate together as a, as a community. They're all for supporting the impeachment and the removal of traitor Trump from office. <laughs> and so that was one of the reasons that I wanted to write Cult 45 in that way. But going back to your original question, I'm sorry, I do wonder, uh, about the difference between Generation Doom and Cult 45 is that Cult 45 is sort of a, a prophecy, if you will. And I say that in the lightest definition possible, but it was foresight that something bad was coming if we didn't do something. Mm. And now something bad has happened. And Cult 45 is now a call to action. It's a call to remind people not to get caught up in the propaganda that this is the people's country, or it's supposed to be. You know, the promised capacity of America, this idea, this experiment, it's not based on a monarchy or a bloodline. It's based on all are created equal and all have the right and deserve legally 
life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that's in the Constitution, and there's nothing that Trader Trump or any of his idiot supporters, any of his cult, which is why I named the album Cult 45. He's the 45th resident of the White House. Yeah. And this wasn't just about him in particular. It was about his cult that supported him through his racism, his misogyny, his sexual predation on women, his overt fraud. I mean, not only was his fake university closed and he had to pay out millions of dollars because he committed fraud, but also his fake charity was disclosed, again, by the courts because he was committing fraud. He was pocketing all the money. He used his funds from his charity to have a life-size portrait of himself painted, and then he tried to sell it, and of course, nobody wanted to buy it. (laughs) It just seems Uh, so far-fetched. Like, how can this even be real? You know, and that's what I think Putin and his people were relying on. You know, people hate it when you, uh, at least in America, they they really hate it when you try to compare any leader to Hitler or to the Nazis. But Trump does have ties to neo-Nazis. He supported white supremacists. When white supremacists murdered a young woman who was marching peacefully, he ran over her with his car, ran over several protesters, but he, he actually murdered one young woman. I think she was just in her early 20s. He said there were good people on both sides. Wow. I don't, there are no good Nazis. There are no good Nazis. You can't, there's no argument there. And the other thing about, and I, I, I'll veer off this to Smith. One of the things that just drives me insane about these neo-Nazi groups is that how they attack socialism, but yet they don't know that the Nazi stands for National Socialist Party. So if you're a Nazi or a neo-Nazi, then you're a socialist, you moron. (laughs) So if you go back to, I think it was Goebbels, he said the bigger the lie, the easier it is to believe. And that's true if you think about it. When you think about things like people saying the moon landing was fake, or people say that Lee Harvey Oswald didn't act alone. It's easier to believe something bigger than it is to believe that, you know, some courageous men put their lives on the line and went to the moon with technology that's not even as powerful as our iPhones. Or that one very mentally ill but very highly trained marine sniper was able to kill a United States president. You know, so the bigger the lie, the easier it is to believe. You know, there's a whole community of people out there that believe the earth is flat. <laughs> Again, that's real. Uh, yeah. There's a there's a group now, they call themselves, they're incels, I-N-C-E-L-S, and they also call themselves Meninists, and they live in the manosphere. And actually, just to be clear, so no one attacks me for not including this, the incel movement was actually started by a woman because she was having trouble finding a mate. So she was involuntarily celibate, I think is what it stands for, incel. And so it was then over run and taken over by these meninist groups who believe that women should be seen and not heard. Women, if they deserve to be raped, if they dress a certain way or or if they flirt with a guy and then decide they don't like him later, it's too late, you've already opened the door. They also believe, and this this is true, that if you haven't had sex by the time you're 30, unless it's rape, but if you haven't had sex by the time you're 30, you get to be a wizard. Wow. You turn into a wizard. So, again, these are grown-ass men and younger men as well and young teenage boys, and they've committed murders. They've committed murders. They've killed women across the globe because of that, but they believe these horrible things. So the bigger the lie, the easier it is to believe. 
It's important, I think, that good people with platforms, and since we all have social media, we all have platforms now, that we use it to call out these kinds of ridiculous propaganda and these ridiculous ethos, if you want to call it that. And what we're finding out here right now uh, as the investigations against Trader Trump, again, 19 investigations, criminal investigations against the President of the United States. Insane. 19 investigations. Makes Nixon and Watergate look like a bubblegum soap opera at this point. Basically, it looks like he was just trying to wager a deal with Russia to build a hotel. And in order to do that, his campaign manager, Paul Manafort, who's also been convicted and going to prison, he was giving a data firm that worked for the Russians election information, voter ID information, and he committed other campaign finance violations with these Russian oligarchs, with these data firms, all because he wanted to build a hotel. And if you watch this Netflix documentary, Active Measures, you'll learn that he had been fired from The Apprentice. So he thought that by doing that escalator ride down and making this announcement that he was going to run for president and that how he could control the media, that he would show, I think it was NBC, he would show the producer and the, the guys that run NBC just how popular and powerful he was and then suddenly it backfired on him when people suddenly were like yeah we really want you to run for president some people sit back and go well where all do these people come from and it's a real easy answer all you have to do is go back and watch civil rights footage from the 1960s when we integrated schools and you see these young teenagers, these young white teenagers, screaming and hurling racial epithets and you know pouring milk and throwing eggs and rocks and lynching young black men and beating young black women and bullying them in schools. Well, those people grew up. Those white people grew up. Those racist assholes grew up. And who are they now? <laughs> They're Trump supporters. Well, there They're you Fox go, News, yeah. you know, viewers. That's who they became. And, now, and Trump basically gave them a platform. You know, he never condemns anything that they do. In fact, he does the exact opposite when it comes to, say, an African-American. There was an African-American man here. A gunman came in to rob a fast food joint, shot a bunch of people, and this man wrestled the gun away from him, was shot himself, I think, and was able to take the guy down with the help of some other customers. And Trump never even mentioned the guy because wow. why would he mention everybody else as long as they were white, but he wouldn't mention this one young man who is really a hero and saved a bunch of lives. It's obvious that he's a racist, and he's been a racist for a long time. I know people here in Los Angeles who used to live in New York back in the 80s and 90s who've known Donald Trump for 20, 30 years, and they're like, yeah, he's a racist. He's been a racist. And some of them have done business with him before, and they lost money, but they all knew that he was a racist and a sexist and would actually do what he said he did, which was grab women by the vaginas. You know, he would... Mm just walk up and do that because he thought he had that privilege because he was wealthy, that he was rich, and that, or that he was famous. One funny story that I heard was he had walked up to some supermodel and tried to do that. He used his tiny little fingers to <laughs> try to explore her beautiful, delicate flower, and she looked at him and she said, what do you think you're doing? And he's like, well, do you like it? And she goes, that's my belly button. <laughs> so the guy probably needs an anatomy course as well, along with 
a lot of other things. But, you know, if things go well and the Constitution is followed, then he'll have plenty of time in federal prison to uh, go to the library and read books. And it'll be hysterical because they don't have bronzer in prison, nor do they have hair dye. <laughs> and so we're actually going to get to see what he looks like. Not a Cheeto. Well, uh, <laughs> it'd be interesting, you know? hey? I, I'm very passionate about this. I'm insulted by this man. His very existence insults me. He's made us a laughing stock in the world. He's putting our nation, he himself, as a national security threat. When Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, recently told him she was going to, since she owned the House chamber where he would give the State of the Union address, she told him that she wasn't going to allow him to do that until he reopened the government. He then sent her a letter and then published it on Twitter that she wasn't going to be allowed to use a military plane because he's commander-in-chief, so he's commander of the military, to fly to different places. And he included her secret trip to Afghanistan, which was classified. Wow. So he's a national threat to, to our safety. He's a national threat to global security. When you see him attacking, you know, your leader, when he's attacking the French leader, Germany's leader, but then he's licking Putin's loafers and comparing hair products with Kim Jong-un of North Korea, you know, you really have to wonder about what this man really wants and what he wants is he wants to be a tyrant. He wants to be an autocrat. He wants to be a dictator. He doesn't understand that our system of government is three equal branches of government. And right now, with this news that just came out, the Congress is now vowing to investigate that Trump ordered his lawyer to lie to Congress, which is a federal offense. It's a felony. That's what got Nixon impeached, by the way, in a history book are going to be listening. But that alone is an impeachable offense. However, impeachment processes start in the Senate, and right now, Republicans own the Senate. But elections are coming up this year, and we're going to see another big blue wave, as we call it here. And we're going to see a lot of Democrats replace Republicans. And if Mueller, who's the special counsel, or if Congress hasn't been able to get enough votes to impeach and remove and annul and indict this man, then we'll be able to do it later this year when the Democrats retake the Senate. Well, Otep, you are the voice of it. If anything, it has made four great music. That's one positive out of it all, I guess. Colt 45, 2018 Album of the Year. You mentioned earlier you're working on writing a new album at the end of this year. What can you tell us about that? Well, I have a lot of ideas and I've been doing a lot of writing, but the album itself, I guess, will be determined by the outcome of what happens to Cheeto Schiller. Yeah, right. Uh, And what he does to our nation. Is he going to start a war in order to distract us from his crimes and misdemeanors against our country? But, you know, honestly, I would love to get back to writing I mean, I'm always going to write a political or a culturally conscious song. For example, on Generation Doom, we wrote uh, Equal Rights, Equal Left, which was based on a true story that happened to me when I was on vacation with an ex-girlfriend in Hawaii. And I was provoked and on the beach by uh, some homophobic asshole who saw me kissing my very beautiful and sweet girlfriend at the time. And we were still dealing with a lot of homophobia and still fighting for equality. And we still are. I mean, it's still to be fired in 16 states 
in the United States if you come out as gay. It's legal for your boss to fire you simply because of who you are attracted to or simply because of who you love. It happened to a physical education teacher. She posted on her Facebook while she was on summer break with just her arm around her partner. Nothing, you know, I mean, it bothers me sometimes that I have to begin these sentences with nothing risque when Mm. straight folks put up risque photos all the time and no one bats an eyelash, but this wasn't anything risque. As a teacher, she wasn't doing anything out of line other than just having her arm around her partner and the school district fired her for it. There are many, many, many LGBTQ people who still live in the closet because they're forced to, not only because they could lose their job and livelihood, they could lose their families, but also they could lose their lives. We're starting to see, because of Donald Trump, because of Vice President Michael Pence, who is rapidly homophobic, which we usually know what that means. When someone is like really homophobic, it means that you've got some urges and some tendencies, brother, that you're not dealing with, and you should just deal with it. Yeah. You're getting old, you know, just accept who you are and <laughs> just move on. I mean, the dude calls his wife mother. I wow. mean, that's some Alfred Hitchcock psycho shit right there. But, um, <laughs> his wife, it just was just released, works at a private school who it's part of their charter that they won't admit any gay kids or any heterosexual allies who think that homosexuality is okay. And people say, well, it's a religious school and they have the right to do that. Well, what if it was a black person? What if it was a Jewish person? What if it was a Muslim? What if it was an Italian? What if it was an Irishman? What if it, you know, where does that line stop? And why is it that she's allowed to do that as the wife of the vice president? I don't think that she should be. And I think that Congress should censure Mike Pence until his wife resigns because she's doing a lot of damage to children who are still trying to find their way. I mean, recently here in America, we had a nine-year-old boy who came out as gay to school and they bullied him so badly that he killed himself the next day. Nine years old. Nine, wow. A 10-year-old boy admitted to his parents, his parents, and you know, when when you're a child, you still think cops are good people. You know, I live in Los Angeles, so it's like a 70, 30 chance you're gonna get a bad cop over a good cop and we've got a lot of cops who are killing unarmed black people in this country and getting off scot-free for it because they just think that black people are scary and it's okay because you scared a white guy so he had the right to kill you and again my family's also law enforcement and a lot of them quit the force because of that kind of corruption and that kind of idiocy so we had a 10 year old boy who came out to his parents and again at that age your parents are your are god i mean they're your protectors they are your Or they should be. Your source of unconditional love. You learn how to love from your parents. They say you learn to love from the opposite parent. You know, if you're a boy, you learn from your mother what to look for in a mate, how she treats your father. And vice versa for girls, how the father treats the mother. And he confided in his parents that he thought he was bisexual. And they locked him in a room. They starved him. They beat him with a shovel to death. That is his own parent. Terrible. Killed a 10-year-old child because he said that he was bisexual. Now, a lot of people who are homophobic came out and said, well, what does this kid know about his sexuality at nine or 10 years old? Well, none of these people who are saying these things say peep 
they, they, they don't say a thing when a little girl comes home and says she's got a crush on a little boy yeah. at school or vice versa a little boy has a crush on a little girl and pulls her pigtail or whatever or has a crush on his teacher you know they say how do you discover your sexuality that young well I knew that I felt differently about girls than I felt about boys you know I'm a lesbian it doesn't mean I hate men I find men attractive that guy's like Thor is hella good looking that guy's you know Brad Pitt is you know gorgeous I mean my band is full of handsome men. My guitar player is a manly specimen, a bodybuilder, the big Spartan. So is my drummer and so is my bass player. My brothers are handsome. You know, young Johnny Depp was a looker. You know, I mean, I'm able to recognize that men are handsome, men are good looking. I just don't want them to mount me. <laughs> I don't have any <laughs> sexual feelings for them. So when I watch Thor, you know, on the big screen, I'm like, wow, that guy's handsome. Wow, he's good looking. Wow, look at his body. His body looks great. But that's about as far as it goes. Yeah. When I watch Wonder Woman and I see Gal Gadot up there I'm like there's some other things that start happening inside me that you know <laughs> and I have other ideas about her so it's not something that I can control it's who I am I'm born this way it's, it's just who I am and so when I wrote Equal Rights Equal Left on Generation Doom it was important that I felt like I'd written enough songs but I'd left out I think other than Rise of Bell Resist where I, I sort of list you know all of the outcasts who make up our tribe but I wanted to devote a song specifically for the LGBTQ community and that stemmed from again that incident in Hawaii where this man after my girlfriend at the time had just finished surfing and I was taking off my wetsuit and I, I don't know if you surf or not but taking off a wetsuit is hella hard yeah. so I'm like trying to get the zipper down from the back and I'm using a stupid string and I can't get it off and I'm covered in sand and I'm, I'm soaking wet from falling off the board more than I wrote it <laughs> <laughs> and she went to go pay and pick up our pictures because they take pictures and she's actually a really good surfer so she was able to you know keep more pictures than I was but I'm taking off my wetsuit and suddenly I feel this big giant hand on my shoulder from the back and I turn around and there's a guy there he's probably mid to late 50s got a big bouffant kind of Elvis Presley hairstyle going on sideburns he's got those old man muscles you know where he's done a lot of like bicep curls but yep. hasn't done leg day in 25 years <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know got man boobs and the whole thing I'm not trying to be offensive to anybody, but just give you a, a perception of this man. Overly tan, you know, looks like a wet piece of leather that's been hung up <laughs> in the sun too long. I said yes, and he said to me, happy Father's Day. And it was Father's Day. So I was like, thank you. And he goes, oh, no, 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 I'm so sorry. I thought you were a man. And I said, oh, that's all right, dude. Don't worry about it. I saw your man titties, and I thought you were a woman. And <laughs> you just wasn't a topless beach. And he goes, oh, you got some mouth on you, huh? And I go, yeah, man, why don't you go ask her about that? And I pointed to my girlfriend at the time. And he goes, ah, you're one of those. And he took a step back, and he picked up his right fist. And he said, you believe in equal rights, huh? And so I took a step back, and I picked up my left fist, and I said, yeah, man, I believe in equal left. Wow. And so we kind of stood there at a standoff for a second, because I was born, you know, a lot of people have, still have that prehistoric fight or flight thing. I only have fight. I don't have flight. <laughs> Like if a tiger ran in my room, I would go at the tiger. It's happened before when I've gone camping. There's a bear came into our camp, and I rushed after the bear. I've had people wow. break into my house, and I've rushed towards them. It's just instinct. It's not even something that I think about. And so, you know, kind of had a standoff for a second. And then he just started kind of doing, like, punches in the air and walking towards his old man motorcycle, which is basically a tricycle. 
It's got three wheels. Yeah. And by that time, all the surf instructors had run over, and they were like, Otep, Otep, are you okay? Are you okay? Because some of them were fans, and I was like, yeah, man, I'm good. And they're like, uh, what's wrong? And I was like, that guy was harassing me for being gay, and then, which is really rare in Hawaii because Hawaii was one of the first states in America to approve of domestic partnerships. So it was really rare to find that kind of homophobia there. Yeah. And they looked at the guy, and they go, oh, leave it to Otep to pick a fight with the only guy that really will fight on the beach. And I said, well, first of all, I didn't pick the fight. And second of all, he ain't fighting. He's driving away on his tricycle. So <laughs> uh, that happened. But, you know, so I'd like to get back to writing. You know, there's always going to be something culturally or significant on the record. It's just who I am. I come from the working class. I believe in equality for all people. It's always going to infect my writing in some way and, and inspire my writing in some way. I just don't want to write, you know, I, I didn't think I'd ever write another Warhead, let alone an entire album, mm. Colt 45, devoted to this giant sack of sewage <laughs> who sold out our country. So hopefully by the time we get to writing the new record, we won't have to worry about Cheeto Schittler anymore and we can expand on topics and style. That's one of the things that I've thought about a lot this year. It started on Generation Doom where I was really trying to experiment with a lot of the vocal stylings and cadences and and singing and rapping and spoken word and the things that I can do. And I really wanted to explore that. And I explored it even more on Cole 45. And I want to continue to do that with the next record. And, you know, Cole 45 itself does primarily deal with Trump and his cult. But it also deals with a lot of other things. I mean, Shelter in Place is about the inability of our government to do any significant gun rights legislation in this country. Most of the Republican Party is in bed with the National Rifle Association, which I believe is a terrorist organization. In fact, they've been, going back to the Russian investigation, they've been caught funneling $30 million that they received from the Russian government into the Republican Party during the campaign. And whenever a black man, we've had that happen here several times, who are members of the NRA, who have a license to carry, who tell the police that they are armed and they have a license to carry, some of those men have been murdered anyway, just for standing there just for being armed, legally armed in their state, legally armed according to the NRA's proclamations. So that's shelter in place for me was going after them and asking, you know, someone invented a gun that basically is like your iPhone. It only works if your fingerprint is on the trigger. And so that would stop children. You know, more toddlers have killed more Americans than terrorists have killed Americans with guns in this country. That's crazy. Um, because people don't keep their guns locked away in gun safes, they get their guns and they think they're toys and they fire them. So if the NRA really cared about gun safety, then they would want people to be trained. They would want people to really care about the weapon and the way to use it, which is what the video for Shelter in Place is about and the song Shelter in Place is about. Their famous phrase, only a good guy with a gun can stop a bad guy with a gun. Well, how do you know who's a good guy and who's a bad guy? I mean, we, exactly. we, we, just, we had that happen with Gabby Giffords who was a former member of Congress here in the United States. She was doing a town hall and a guy walked up to her, shot her, shot some of her staff. One of her staff was like a six foot four Mexican American gentleman. And while he was shot, wrestled the shooter to the ground, took the gun away. A innocent bystander who was legally armed had heard the shots, came running, pulled his gun, saw 
a six foot four Mexican man laying on top of a white man, all of them bleeding, and he almost killed Gabby Gifford's assistant, who was a hero, until an old lady grabbed the gun and said, he's not the shooter, he's not the shooter, he's not the shooter. And then we've had similar occurrences just recently where there was a shooting inside of a mall and the security guard, who was black, wearing a security guard uniform, who was also armed, legally armed, called the police and said, we have an intruder, we think he's got a gun. Police showed up, saw a black guy, and they killed him, and they killed the security guard. Same thing happened with another mall shooting where a former member of our military was trying to help stop the shooter by wrestling the gun away from him. And when the cops showed up, they saw a black man wrestling with a white man, and they killed the black man who was a hero and also a former member of the United States military. And then just today, we found out that this one cop in Illinois who killed, I think, a 17-year-old boy, he shot him four times, shot him once in the back, held a gun to his head, was saying all these racial things to him, and then while he was dying, shot him again. And then four of the officers and they have it on body cam and they have it on recordings, helped cover it up. The courts found them not guilty and let them go. The actual shooter was convicted, but we don't know what his sentence is yet. It could be probation for all we know. So we have a gun crisis in this country and that's why I wrote Shelter in Place. Trigger warning was inspired by that idiot trust fund kid. Intentionally got a girl drunk and then she asked if he could walk her back to the dorm. As he was walking back to the dorm, she passed out. He pulled her behind a dumpster and started raping her and luckily two young men saw this came up attacked him and held him down and called the police and he got I think six months probation or something like that whereas this young girl has to live with that for the rest of her life Mm. so for me I wrote trigger warning out of rage righteous rage and what I would have liked to have done to that jackhole if I had you know five minutes in a room a match and 50 cents worth of gasoline (laughs) and then we have a song called boss which is about you know, breaking gender norms, which is about breaking gender roles. You know, when people, I get it even from fans when they talk about me, they're like, oh, you're such a boss bitch. And I'm like, why do I gotta be a boss bitch? Why do we have to genderize boss? Why can't I just be a boss? So then I wrote that song, I'm not a boss bitch, I'm just a boss. And, uh, and then, you know, we have a ballad at the, at the end of the song called Be Brave. It was supposed to be called Brave, but the label screwed it up and called it Be Brave. But it's about as close to anything that we've written since Perfectly Flawed. And it's basically challenging people to leave their comfort zones, to live their authentic lives, to love themselves as they are, and to go after their dreams. And know that there's going to be obstacles, know that you're going to fail. But, you know, it's the person that tries the hardest, that fails the most. You know, there's an old saying that the difference between a master and a novice is that the master has failed more times than than the novice has even tried. You know, Michael Jordan, the basketball player, even said, you know, I've missed more shots than I've made. So, you know, this song was really important to me to encourage people to open their minds, have the courage to be brave enough to step out of their comfort zone. Don't listen to people who don't want to see you succeed or who are afraid that you might fail, you know, that's okay. You don't fail. You just learn. And that's what that song was about. It's meant to inspire people to believe in themselves and go after their dreams. And we have two spoken word poems on the record as well. One, Undefeated, which goes back to me sort of taunting all of my enemies who still to this day 
they have this idea in their head that I'm going away sometime soon, which oh. I have no intention of doing. Not stepping away from the mic, not stepping away from the pen or the pad, not stepping away from my beliefs or speaking them or standing up for marginalized communities or for those that need help. I'm really proud of it. I, I feel like even though it is primarily a political record in some ways, it's also, I think, a very well-rounded record. Not only just attacks Trump and his cult, but it also touches on several cultural and societal issues and it beckons people to please live your authentic lives. We only have so many times around this sun. You could mark 20 summers on your wall and mark one off after each summer and hopefully you'll get 20 summers. And hopefully when you've taken one of those marks down, you've done something that has allowed your life to grow and be beautiful and allow yourself to blossom into the person that you were meant to be or that you want to be. Yeah, that, that's very well said right there, Oritep, and I think that's a, a nice way to wrap things up because the album is a masterpiece and you just cannot change. You've just got to keep being that boss and be a spokeswoman for the, for the people. I like it a lot. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Sometimes it can be kind of lonely being someone who stands up and speaks their mind and isn't afraid of alienating audiences or offending certain people who have certain tendencies, you know, racist or sexist or homophobic tendencies. I don't want their money. I don't want them buying my records. I want you to become a fossil. I want you to go away. So I want to thank you so much for your kind words. I want to thank you so much for this lovely interview. And also thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of your award ceremony. And thank you for including us. And I want to thank everyone who voted for us. It means a lot. Again, it can be quite lonely sometimes being who we are and standing up for who we are. But when we're able to achieve things like this, there's a certain validation that comes with it and a certain feeling of being loved and appreciated. And that kind of feeling is, is a gratitude that I don't know if I can, even me, I don't know if I have the words to express how deeply affected I am by it. So thank you so much. And I really, I truly appreciate uh, being a part of this. And I'm very honored to be the first band to win twice. Yes. Uh, most definitely. I like that a lot. And you have got a very big following and very well loved out here. Hopefully you'll come back out again soon to OTEP and keep up to date with these guys. It is facebook.com slash OTEP official and same deal on the Instagram and Twitter. Thanks once again, OTEP. Just real quick before you do go, is there any word of an Australian tour? We've only played Australia once and we loved it. And we would love to come back down there again. Unfortunately, we don't book the tours. The venue and the bookers there have to contact our booking agent and then they do all the bargaining and hashing out and making sure that we can actually get there. But that's one of the things that I'm, I'm working on this year. We're about to go to Europe in February for the entire month. We're playing nine countries there. I'm trying to get us back into South America and then hopefully we can get back over to Oz. One of my dearest friends in the world, she's from Australia. She lives here. When we were there, I love the people. I love the country. I love the culture and the fans. The shows were insane. We felt the love. We, we truly felt the love there. So I'm hoping for an Australian tour, uh, and, I'm, and I'm pushing for it, and I'm working really hard to make it happen. Yeah, fingers crossed, touch wood, that does happen, and hopefully this helps sort of make it happen. Otepa was at the Melbourne show when you were here, and I can definitely vouch put on one hell of a show, and thank you once again for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I truly appreciate it. Thank you. How? What? It's the underground.